Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, when did we start counting? Are numbers just a modern human concept? Plus, we have more details about the impending end of the International Space Station as focus turns ever more to the Moon and Mars. And a new search engine that only gives you one result, and it's always a book that was published before 1927. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Are we humans the only species that counts and engages with numbers? And whether or not we are, is it only our anatomically modern versions of ourselves that have done so? How long ago did humans start counting? The whole concept of numbers and counting is something that can easily make your head spin when you think about it for a minute. And it turns out that the field of numbers origins is a pretty empty one, although that's been changing recently thanks in part to funding from the European Research Council for a project called the Evolution of Cognitive Tools for Quantification, or QUANTA. QUANTA is funding work by archaeologists studying ancient numerical notations, evolutionary biologists looking at the deep origins of words for numbers, and cognitive scientists, anthropologists, and psychologists who are studying contemporary number systems across cultures to help inform some bigger questions of the past and development of our relationship to numbers over time. There is a really great piece in Nature from last year summarizing some of the recent scholarship being done by folks involved with Quanta or adjacent to them, all trying to figure out when exactly numbers entered our way of being. The first thing to know is also my favorite line from the entire article, quote, Researchers don't even agree at times on what numbers are, end quote. That's when you know you're really getting into a tough subject, one of those truly the-more-you-know-the-more-questions-you-have kind of things. Now, Nature does say that one study from 2017 defined numbers as, quote, discrete entities with exact values that are represented by symbols in the form of words and signs, end quote. Discrete entities with exact values that are represented by symbols in the form of words and signs. I think that's a pretty good working definition for going forward in summarizing some of these findings, so keep that in mind. So first, the question of whether other animals can or do count. Now, as far as we know right now, it seems like a fair few species, including fish, bees, and chicks, can subitize, that is, perceive the number of items in a set without actually counting them. So like when you look at three cups on a table and immediately know there are three without having to count them. Nature says there are also animals who are capable of large quantity discrimination, so they can tell the difference between 10 objects and 20 objects, but can't tell the difference between 20 and 21, for example. Baby humans as young as 6 months old can do this too. And some chimpanzees in captivity, at least, have been taught to use, if not numbers as we'd recognize them, abstract symbols that represent quantities. But nature notes that no non-human species, chimpanzees included, have been seen using symbols in that way in the natural world. So some folks, like Andreas Nieder, a neuroscientist from Germany, thinks this all adds up to humans having a, quote, innate appreciation of numbers that arose through evolutionary processes such as natural selection, end quote. 
But others, like Rafael Nunez, a cognitive scientist at the University of California, San Diego, and one of the leaders of Quanta, says it can't just have been natural selection. Some animals may have more of an innate ability to perceive and distinguish quantity that could have been from evolutionary processes, but humans' interaction with numbers is so much more sophisticated that it's gotta mostly be from cultural evolution. That is, learning new skills that are taught to us or learning them through imitation. Whether we developed this ability over time or started learning it and teaching it to one another, to put it simply, when did this begin? According to some theories, ancient humans may have been using symbols for discrete entities anywhere from 10,000 to 100,000 years ago. Like everything else, there's some debate and a lot of unknowns. One archaeologist, Francesco Derrico, thinks it wasn't just anatomically modern humans, though. Neanderthals might have been working with numbers, too. Derrico points in particular to a hyena bone found in western France in the 1970s, dated back to 60,000 years ago. It bears nine parallel notches. The notches are deep intentional, but not aesthetically pleasing or evenly spaced, and that leads Derrico to think they were more functional. And while this is one of the older potential counting aids, and its location additionally would give credence to the Neanderthal hypothesis, it's far from the only find of its kind. One other example nature gives is a baboon bone found at Border Cave in South Africa that's 42,000 years old and also bears parallel notches. In this case, the bone and its notches are also quite smooth, suggesting it may have been used quite a bit and held some importance. The older hyena bone from France, by contrast, seems to have been used very very little before being tossed aside. Here's Derrico's take on these findings, quoting Nature. Discoveries over the past 20 years show that ancient humans began producing abstract engravings, which hint at sophisticated cognition hundreds of thousands of years earlier than we once thought. It all started by accident, he suggests, as early hominins unintentionally left marks on bones while they were butchering animal carcasses. Later, the hominins made a cognitive leap when they realized that they could deliberately mark bones to produce abstract designs, such as those seen on an approximately 430,000-year-old shell found in Trinil, Indonesia. At some point after that, another leap occurred. Individual marks began to take on meaning, with some of them perhaps encoding numerical information. The Le Pradel hyena bone is potentially the earliest known example of this type of mark-making, says Derrico. He thinks that with further steps, or what he dubs cultural acceptations, such notches eventually led to the invention of number signs such as 1, 2, and 3. Derrico acknowledges that there are gaps in this scenario. It isn't clear what cultural or social factors might have encouraged ancient hominins to begin marking bones or other artifacts deliberately, or to then harness those marks to record numerical information. Quanta will use data from anthropology, cognitive science, linguistics, and archaeology to better understand those social factors, says Derrico, who is one of the project's four principal investigators, end quote. Now, not everyone is convinced notches on a bone or stick always mean they were used for counting, however. A few scholars have studied message sticks used by Aboriginal Australians, and some of those sticks have tally-like marks, but they're often more to serve as a memory aid for the message being delivered, not to count something necessarily. Linguistic anthropologist Pierce Kelly says it's less accounting a quantity and more recounting a narrative. And looking at contemporary societies and languages can sometimes help us understand how number systems might have originated and developed. Quoting again, 
Linguists Claire Bowern and Jason Zentz at Yale University reported in a 2012 survey that 139 Aboriginal Australian languages have an upper limit of three or four for specific numerals. Some of those languages use natural quantifiers, such as several and many, to indicate higher values. There's even one group, the Piraha people of the Brazilian Amazon, that sometimes claimed not to use numbers at all. Overman and other researchers stress that there's nothing intellectually lacking about societies that use relatively simple number systems. But she wondered whether such societies might provide clues about the social pressures that drive the development of more elaborate number systems, end quotes. One potential social pressure? Goods. Material goods. Could that presence of material goods have driven the development of number systems? Overman found that of 33 contemporary hunter-gatherer societies, those with number systems that had an upper limit around four tended to have very few material possessions, whereas those with higher upper limits had a, quote, richer array of possessions, end quote. Those with more complex systems additionally tended to use base 5 or base 20 systems, which suggests the counting may have begun on their fingers rather than, for example, using a notched stick or bone. Although looking back in time, once there was a need for numbers to go higher, counting aids would usually be deployed. Like in Mesopotamia, when at least 5,500 years ago, they started to use clay tokens in different shapes to enable counting into the thousands. But there's one other way to investigate the origin and development of number systems, language. Quoting again, evolutionary biologist Mark Pagel at the University of Reading and his colleagues showed that low-value number words, one to five, are among the most stable features of spoken languages. Indeed, they change so infrequently across language families, such as the Indo-European family, which includes many modern European and Southern Asian languages, that they seem to have been stable for anywhere between 10,000 and 100,000 years. This doesn't prove that numbers from 1 to 5 derive from ancient cognates that were first spoken tens of thousands of years ago, but Pagel says it's at least conceivable that a modern and a Paleolithic Eurasian could have understood one another when it came to such number words. End quote. This idea that the words for small numbers have been stable for tens of thousands of years was found using computational tools based on the frequency of word replacement in languages over time, using historical examples we have evidence of to extrapolate for longer periods of time deeper into the past. Not everyone buys it, though. University of Pennsylvania historical linguist Don Ringe doesn't think the stability of those number words can confidently be projected that far back, even if they've been shown to be stable in recent millennia. And that kind of sums up a lot of this field. We've got a ton of tools at our disposal now and can make a lot of educated guesses, but it's still tough to confidently say exactly when or how numbers emerged in our cultural consciousness. So many complicated systems we have now to try to understand the genesis of it all. Something that seems so simple and is yet so elusive in its origins. Russell Gray, an evolutionary biologist at the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology, got to perhaps the real core of why the idea of the origin of numbers is so fascinating to think about, telling Nature, quote, Numbers are just so fundamental to everything we do. It's hard to conceive of human life without them.
The writing's been on the aluminum wall for a while. Facing mounting repairs, the International Space Station has seemed on its way out for several years. The original life expectancy for the 21-year-old spacecraft would have seen it retired five years ago. International tensions between Russia, the U.S., and China and development of China's own space station, Tiangong, have contributed to questions about the ISS's future. At the end of last year, the Biden-Harris administration announced their commitment to operating the ISS through 2030, in cooperation with the other international space agency partners who also work on the ISS. And earlier this week, NASA published an update on how they intend to spend the last nine years of the ISS's life and what will physically happen to the station at the end of 2030. In short, the ISS will continue its day-to-day -day experiments and operations and work on setting the private space industry up for success in the post-ISS world of the 30s. Quoting Scientific American, NASA has been laying the groundwork for that transition for some time now. For example, in December 2021, the agency awarded a total of $415 million to three companies, Blue Origin, NanoRacks, and Northrop Grumman, that are leading efforts to build private space stations in Earth orbit. NASA also holds a separate agreement with Houston-based company Axiom Space, which will launch multiple modules to the International Space Station starting in late 2024. These modules will eventually detach from the orbiting lab, forming a privately operated free flyer in orbit. The agency has said that it wants at least one of these private outposts to be up and running before the ISS is decommissioned so that there's no gap in orbital research. Such work is needed to prepare for ambitious efforts like a crewed mission to Mars, which NASA aims to pull off in the 2030s, end quote. So that's the larger goal for the coming decade, and when time is up, the ISS is going to be dropped into the Pacific Ocean. First, it will need to get a boost from visiting spacecraft, likely Russian ones or maybe a private U.S. company. That will push the ISS out of orbit and aim it at Point Nemo in the South Pacific uninhabited area, the ocean location furthest from land. According to the Washington Post, somewhere between 250 and 300 spacecraft are buried in these waters, leading some to refer to it as the Spacecraft Cemetery. Thinking about the end of the ISS is kind of sad. You know, it's been operational since I was in fifth grade, so it feels like a constant that's been there my whole life. And certainly the idea of it being replaced by private entities marks it as the end of an era, a whole new frontier in space. Speaking of which, The Verge reported today that a company called Quantum Space wants to build a robotic outpost near the moon, specifically at Lagrange Point 1, that will, quote, create a fleet of robotic helpers that can do a variety of tasks near the moon, such as providing internet capabilities, collecting data, refueling spacecraft, and assembling structures in lunar space, end quote. The president and CEO of the company is Steve Jerzyk, who was NASA's acting administrator from the time of President Biden's inauguration until last May. So he's got a bit more of an inside perspective compared to other private companies, and he's got the right idea. Most private companies are looking to put passenger space stations into orbit, sort of replacing the retiring ISS. But NASA is leaving low Earth orbit for the moon, and while there are already private companies employed helping with the Artemis program, Jerzyk sees a lucrative gap to assist with lunar exploration in other ways. Quantum Space plans to send a test robot to L1 in spring 2024, which will be well ahead of NASA's continuously delayed human lunar landing in 2025 or later. 
the 20s are really shaping up to be quite something in space. Back in November, I shared with you some tips from writer Clive Thompson about rewilding your attention. Coined by Tom Critchlow, the idea of rewilding your attention varies depending who you're talking to, but basically means breaking out of your filter bubble, stepping away from algorithmic feeds, and finding some of those weird or surprising corners of the internet again. I also think about it as being a little more intentional sometimes, and like Thompson, I would say it doesn't all have to be online either. It's not just finding offbeat blog posts and microsites, but also reading books. And to that point, Thompson has created a new search engine called Weird Old Books. See, Thompson's big recommendation for rewilding your attention with books is that any book published before 1927 is in the public domain, so you can access it online via Google Books or Archive.org, and boy are old, obscure books fascinating. So much strange stuff in them. Thompson does acknowledge, quote, The past being the past, there's a ton of flat-out nativism, racism, and gibbering misogyny, but also people fighting against that too, end quote. And that is one cool thing about really old media, seeing how some ideas or opinions that we think of as thoroughly modern have actually been around for a really long time, for better or worse. In any case, Thompson wanted to make it easier for people to find and enjoy weird old books, so he built this search engine that only populates results from the public domain, because that means you'll get the whole text and not just a preview. And yes, you only get one result. It's different every time if you search the same thing, or at least for a bit there are only so many books on various topics, but you only get one result because Thompson says he wanted to try to avoid the paradox of choice. It's basically just using a filtered search of Google Books, so Thompson acknowledges it's not the best, most sophisticated site. He shared some tips on Medium. Simple queries are better, one or two words are best, and think about general or historically relevant words, but really just search whatever and you'll find something interesting. I searched for Christmas a few times and got some interesting books about Christmas traditions, as well as a great book by Washington Irving, and then an 1847 memoir of a Welsh minister named Christmas Evans. And then I decided to search for Suffragette and got an amazing booklet from 1912 called Mother Goose as a Suffragette, which is a whole series of illustrated parodies of nursery rhymes with a suffrage bent to them. Like this one, Jack and Jill have equal will and equal strength in mind, but when it comes to equal rights, poor Jill trails far behind. It's amazing, and I can't wait to see what else I find on this search engine. You know, rewilding your attention definitely isn't a productivity hack by any means. It's just as easy to get sucked into a rabbit hole that wasn't placed in front of you by an algorithm, but it does at least tend to leave you a little more inspired or uplifted than an hour or seven of doom scrolling. Well, that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.